Please turn with me now, if you would, to the book of Galatians. We're going to um, consider today's passage, which is Galatians 2, uh, 17 through 21. Galatians 2, uh, from verse 17 down through the end of uh, the chapter. This is an extraordinary section in which uh, not only is the doctrine of justification by faith laid out, but the difference that Jesus Christ makes then in the course of our Christian lives is also explained. Uh, and So let's uh, go ahead and begin our reading at verse 15, which is the passage that we considered last week uh, in order to get something of the context of this passage Uh, And we'll go down through verse uh, 21. Let's hear now God's uh, holy word. Uh, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And now for this week's passage, beginning in verse 17. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down... I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And this ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's seek again the Lord's uh, face in prayer. Lord, our uh, God and Heavenly Father, this is your holy word. It is true and it is life-giving and it points us Uh, to the only one in whom life is to be found, who is the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that by your sovereign grace uh, today, uh, that you would give to us uh, understanding and comprehending minds and believing hearts, Lord, that you draw our affections unto you and that you would work even in this hour to change our lives for good But above all, Lord, it is our prayer that even in this act of worship that you would receive glory for yourself because you are the all-glorious God uh, to whom all praise is due. Oh, Lord, bless us now as we hear your preached word, for we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Last week uh, in uh, Galatians 2, 15 and 16, Uh, we considered that uh, doctrine, which is the doctrine, as Luther said, of the standing or the falling church. It is a doctrine that is absolutely crucial to salvation. It is the doctrine that we are justified, that is declared righteous in the sight of God, 
only for the uh, only for the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us, that is accounted to us, clothed in Jesus's blood and righteousness. That is our beauty. That is our glorious dress. It is a full righteousness of a whole Christ that is then received by faith alone. What a doctrine it is. But what an extraordinary doctrine. If you stop and think about what that is actually saying, uh, it is absolutely extraordinary. Even, we might say, even kind of scandalous. You know what it's saying is this. It is that even though I have been to death, even though I woke up this morning, and perhaps I selfishly complained about the weather, not on a day like today, perhaps, but on many days, rather than praising God for the sun that shines and the rain that falls. Though my, my mind wanders to the trifling concerns of the day as I was reading God's life-giving Word, even though I secretly despise and disliked a, a person that annoys me, a, a wonderful creature made in God's image whom I have not loved as I've called to love, but hated in the heart. Oh, dear friends, even as I begin my day and go throughout my day sinning against Him in a variety of different ways, the truth of God's Word, the news of our justification is this. It is that even before I committed those sins, and yes, after I committed those sins, and get this, even at the very moment that I was committing those sins, God views me as righteous as His dear Son and accepts me fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the Gospel is, is that God justifies those who in themselves are ungodly. Not those who once were ungodly and now are perfectly righteous, but rather those who are now ungodly. God justifies them completely. They are loved, accepted, pronounced innocent, righteous, accounted sinless by the judge of the universe. And those who are sinners and who know that they will continue to sin while in this life, nonetheless can have absolute assurance that on that final day of judgment, the verdict will come that they are accounted righteous in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Friends, that is the news of justification by faith. You know that when the gospel is then preached like that, there's going to be a question that rises. And the question that comes is the question, well, if God justifies those who are ungodly, well then, is Christ found to be the servant of sin? In other words, if God 
justifies sinners, well, why not keep sinning? What motivation is there possibly to become a better person? There's no incentive for righteousness. Well, let me just say this. First of all, that if you, in preaching or explaining the gospel, don't have that as a response, then you've probably not explained it rightly. Because Paul, when he brought up what the gospel of justification by faith was, now faces that objection in Galatians 2 and verse 17. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, well, is Christ then a servant of sin? It's actually the exact same question that was raised in uh, the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6, again, after explaining this extraordinary gospel of free justification in Christ, the Apostle Paul then says, Romans 6 and verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? That is naturally the question when we encounter that glorious gospel of God's free grace and our justification. Well, the answer that Paul gave in Romans 6.1 was this. By no means. And the answer that he gives here in Galatians 2.17 is exactly the same. Is Christ then a servant of sin? And his answer is, certainly not. And here he makes an impassioned plea that though it seems like if justification by faith is true, we have then every reason to go on sinning, he says actually just the opposite is the case. That justification by faith actually leads to godly living. And that Jesus Christ in all the fullness of his redeeming work is not only sufficient for me to have a right standing before God, my justification, but the same Christ whose righteousness justifies me is also the Christ whose life and righteousness is sufficient for a life of faith that is for a life of increased holiness and dedication to God. That is my sanctification. And so neither for my standing before Him nor for the life that I live before Him will my own works ultimately suffice. But the Lord who freely justifies me in Christ is the same one who so unites me to Jesus Christ that He then sanctifies me for holy living so that the life I live is also a life that is lived by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to open up. Last week, that glorious doctrine of justification. This week, then saying, well, does that mean we live loosely? And his answer, certainly not. If you belong to Jesus Christ, the same Christ who justifies is the one who then also we cleave to by faith for a life of sanctification. So we're going to look at this now in this passage under three different headings. And the headings are these. First of all, if I pursue self-righteousness, it actually leads to more sin, not less. That's the first point. Second point, in union with Christ, 
I die to the law. Third point, Christ himself now lives in me. Okay, so this is explaining now uh, the Christian life. As those attached to Jesus Christ, these three things, if I pursue self-righteousness, it actually leads to more sin, not less. Secondly, in union with Christ, I die to the law. And third, Christ himself now lives in me. First of all, if I pursue self-righteousness, Paul says, it actually leads to more sin, uh, not less. And we see this in verse 18. Uh, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, this admittedly is not uh, an easy verse. Uh, There are actually several different options for interpreting this verse. Uh, We're not going to go through all of those options, but rather I'm going to give you the one that I think makes sense in the context of this verse. It's one uh, with which many commentators agree. And Paul's point here is that if we think that we will actually become more righteous and more holy simply by trying as hard as we can to do it, rather than through attachment to Jesus Christ, what we're going to find is that it actually leads to more sin and not less. What is it that Paul destroyed? Do you see that? If I rebuild what I tore down. What is it that Paul tore down? Well, what he tore down was that edifice of a self-righteous life that he lived before encountering Christ. Do you remember how Paul elsewhere describes his life of before his conversion? Philippians chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6, where he describes that I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on to show how his whole life was geared towards the pursuit of a kind of self-righteousness. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That was the life that he lived. But then what does he go on to say? After he met the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ, but whatever gain I have, I had, I now counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what was it that Paul tore down after meeting with the ascended Christ? It was that whole life that was in the pursuit of a kind of self-righteousness. He tore that down. He realized that his own righteousness would not stand before uh, the living uh, God. And so now he is saying here uh, that if I were to try to rebuild that life, in other words, if after meeting Jesus Christ and experiencing the forgiveness of sins in Him, I now said, okay, all of my sins, past sins are wiped out. But now it is my job 
to once again do everything in my power to seek to live a righteous life before God. That's where my focus is going to be. If I now once again try to rebuild that life of self-righteousness that once was torn down, what am I going to be proven to be? Who am I going to be shown to be? And he says, it is a transgressor. This is not the way to stay away from sin and to pursue a life of holiness. Because what comes from self, such self-righteous efforts is simply more sin. That is, if it is our aim to do what is right in our own strength, what you will increasingly find is your own powerlessness to do so. Like a hamster that's running on that wheel, you're going to run and run and try to run faster, and in the end, you're going to get absolutely nowhere. Instead, when you come to examine your own heart, as Paul did, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as to the law of blameless, when he came to examine his own heart, he realized that he could never be good enough. That his own righteousness was not good enough. And so, dear friends, a life that is centered on simply being good will only show that you are never good enough. And that's so crucial for us in the course of our Christian lives, dear friends. Because we need to stop every kind of thinking that says, well, Christ was enough at the beginning of my Christian life. He forgave my sins. I received his righteousness. But now, for me to live the Christian life, that's up to me. It's up to me by my efforts to become a a better person. You know, the world has its own kind of self-righteousness, doesn't it? The world believes that there's a certain kind of life that you ought to be chasing. You know, eat organically. Drink fair trade coffee. Be a positive person. Tolerate everything. Treat people with kindness. Take care of your own body. Be responsible. Work hard. Have a social consciousness. Okay? The world says, this is the point of life. Try to become a better person. Now, some of those things are good things uh, uh, to do. Not necessarily bad in themselves, but the point that Paul is making here, if that is the very focus of your life, is if that is your pursuit, if, if that, you say, is the aim of my life just to become a better person in these ways, well, living like that, he says, you're never ultimately going to make any advancement in, in holiness. Well, there are other ways as well that Christians are tempted to build their own lives of self-righteousness. Religion, even for Christians, can very easily become a matter of kind of following certain rules and regulations and trying to have your, your life together. It can very easily become a matter of, you know, trying to check certain boxes. Have I gone to church? Check. Have I read my Bible? Check. Am I disciplining my kids properly? Uh, Check. And and you're just trying to go down the list and trying to make sure that you have all the the checks there and not leaving anything out. And, And you're trying really hard to do it. To live a good enough life. 
And quite frankly, many of us then feel guilty, actually dreadfully guilty, when we find that our lives don't match up. In fact, I feel, I imagine that, that many of us uh, feel like an utter failure most of the time. And dear friends, if you are in an endless search simply to do a little bit more, to try to do a little bit better with your kids, a little bit, be a little bit more successful at your work, do a, a few more good deeds in order to salve your conscience and to feel better about yourself. And dear friends, if you think in your mind, well, God may even love me more if I could just do a little bit more, if I can just love Him a little more, if I could just surrender to Him a little bit more, if I could just serve Him a little bit more. Dear friends, if that becomes ultimately our pursuit and the focus of what we're doing in this, in this world, at the end of the day, you're going to find that you just can't do enough. You just are not going to do enough. If that's what the Christian life is all about for you. So many of those things that I mentioned aren't all bad. Okay, and, and as we're going to see, even there, there's a place for the law in the, in the Christian's life to guide us in the way of obedience. But dear friends, if the focus is, what am I doing? Can I do a little bit more to feel a little bit better? To make God love me a little bit more? If, if our lives become a matter of, of that kind of list of do's and don'ts, dear friends, you're going to find that the Christian life ultimately is futile. And such efforts at the end of the day are only going to confirm the truth. It was true at the beginning. It is that you are a sinner. It is that you are a sinner. And so a life that is a pursuit of a kind of self-righteousness only leads to more sin, not less. And so that's such a helpful point that Paul's making here, isn't it? against the Judaizing tendency in the Galatian church. Uh, they're worried. Uh, uh, is Paul speaking of lawlessness? Well, our focus needs to be just keeping the law, keeping the law, keeping the law. That's the focus of things. Paul says when that's our focus, simply, in itself, it's going to end in futility. And we're going to find at the end of the day that we are sinners indeed. Well, let's move on secondly. Well, what is... What is it that we are to, to see? Secondly, now, this, that in union with Christ, what do we do? We die to the law. In union with Christ, I die to the law. And we see this in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. Well, what does that mean to to die to the law, that Paul as a believer in Christ is one who has died to the law. The law itself doesn't die. Uh, it remains as God's righteous standard. It is a law that says, do this and live. But Paul is saying, I am the one who has died. I have died to this thing, to the law. And when a person dies to something, it is a way of saying that that thing no longer has power over you. And so Paul died to the law's controlling power over him. But how did he die? Well, it says that he died 
through the law. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I think it is best to understand that phrase that he died to the law through the law in light of the statement at the beginning of verse 20 that also speaks of his death. And there he says, I have been crucified with Christ. How was it that Paul died to the law? Well, it was that he was crucified with Christ. Well, what happened when Christ died on the cross? Well, when Christ died on the cross, it wasn't that the law was set aside, but rather that the full penalty of the law was enacted on our Savior, Jesus Christ. So our sin was laid upon His shoulders. The cup of the fury of God's wrath that we deserved, the wrath that the law demanded, was drunk to its dregs by Jesus Christ. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We're going to read later in Galatians 3. That's what the law says. And Christ was crucified for our sake. The law's full penalty was laid upon Him. And so the law's demands were met. The penalty of the broken law was satisfied. And how was it satisfied? It was satisfied by our sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. But when He died... Christ died not only for Himself, He died instead for us. He had no sin to atone for. But He died in our place on Calvary's tree. And so, when Christ died, suffering the law's penalty, we ourselves, since He died for us, now are free from the law's penalty and power. It has no claim over us. The claim of the law has been met by Him. This is a doctrine of union with Christ, dear believers. The Bible teaches over and over again that we are those who are in Jesus Christ, that everything that has been, or everything that Christ has done belongs to the believer, that His story is ours. And so what happened on that Roman cross some 2,000 years ago isn't some isolated event in human history. It's not something simply to learn about in history books and, and to think about as something simply that happened to Jesus Christ. But rather, as the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross, He did so in union with all of those who would come to believe upon Him. He died for His people. And His death Suffering the law's curse means also my death to the law. In other words, because Jesus died, I don't need to wake up today fearful whether or not I can meet the law's demands. My obedience to the law today cannot make me one bit more accepted or less accepted by God. I don't need to worry if I can do enough to make God love me today. Dear friends, I am in slavery to this law no longer. The Lord Jesus Christ has freed me. Because Christ died, I also am dead to this law. What a 
joyful thing this is. I mean, I can imagine if you were a slave in the American South in the period of slavery, what an extraordinarily joyful thing it would have been when you heard that news of the Emancipation Proclamation. To think that for years you were owned by another. That all of your labor belonged to that other person. To know that now you have been set free. And I realize that when that proclamation went into effect, many people weren't really set free. They lived a lot of the rest of their lives in a kind of bondage as well. But dear friends, there is a bondage that is worse than any other. And it is a bondage to Satan and to sin. And it's a bondage into, each one, into which each one of us were born. And the good news is, dear friends, is that there is a way of freedom from that bondage, and it is in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot be freed from this bondage by my own works of self-righteousness. It is because I am in Christ that this law no longer has any claims over me. And not only am I set free from the law's penalty, I am also set free from the law's power. And I am enabled now, no longer to be in slavery to Satan, but to serve God from the heart. And it is because of what Jesus has done for me. And so in our union with Christ, dear dear friends, we have died to the law. But this now moves us third and finally And even most importantly in this whole discussion to this truth, it is that Christ Himself now lives in me. What is the key to the Christian life? Well, if it is our own works of of self-righteousness will get us nowhere. And if Christ has instead set us free from the law, we have died to the law in Jesus Christ, we now have this truth which is all glorious and makes all the difference in the way that we live. It is that Christ Jesus Himself now lives in me. I am in Christ. But being in Christ, it doesn't mean that He has simply died for me, setting me free from the law's power. But it means also that He now lives and lives in me. And all the fruit of who Jesus is now plays out in my life. And friends, that is the key to the Christian Christian life. It is our union with Jesus Christ. He now dwells in me by His Holy Spirit. And so it means that as we seek to live, that it's not like God is standing outside of us, kind of saying, you're not getting it right. You're never good enough. You can't seem to do it, but rather it's just the opposite. It is that the living God Himself has now come and dwelt in us and has given us by the power of Christ's life all that is needed now for a life of godliness. So we see that in verse 20, or verse 19 and verse 20. Through the law I died to the law so that what I might now live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Well, what can we see about this Christ who lives in us, who is the controlling power 
for our Christian lives. I want you to see three things about this Lord Jesus Christ. And the first of those things is that He is the living Christ. We are united to Him in His death, we have seen. But we are also united to Him in His resurrection. So that it can be said, even, that as I live my Christian life, it is not just I who am living on my own, but it is Christ Himself, the living Christ, the glorious resurrected Christ, who now lives in me. He is a living Christ. And so all that is, belongs to Christ in His resurrection life now works through me. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about the glory of Christ's resurrected life. That on that third day, that death no longer had power over Him. That He was not kept by it any longer. But that He was raised from the dead. And as 1 Corinthians 15 describes the nature of that resurrection, that the body that is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15.42 It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And so now we have Christ's imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, resurrected presence in our lives. That is the life that is now living in us and through us. It is Jesus Christ in all the power of His resurrection. And it is this resurrected Christ who Ephesians 1 tells us has now been seated at the highest place above every principality and power and every other name that is named. He has been given the highest place of them all. All things are under His feet and He rules for the sake of His church. It is this Christ, this cosmic Christ, who rules and reigns over all, who is the One who is living now in me. And so... Can that sin that so plagues me, is that more powerful than this Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. He rules over over everything. It is this cosmic life. this, This life that belongs, as it were, to the powers of the age to come. This this glorious resurrected life. This resurrected Christ. That is now in us. But no long, but not as he just he is not just the living Christ. But secondly, the Christ who lives in us is the loving Christ as well. You catch Paul's just beautiful language. Who is this Christ who lives in him in whom he trusts? He is, verse 20, the one who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is, the Christ who dwells in me is the one who loves me with an unbreakable love. Do you know how I mean, important it is in a marriage that uh, two spouses love one another, right? Um, in fact, a spouse's love has often provides some of the, the, the security, as it were, and it, it makes a, a big difference in the course of of a marriage. I, if I can believe that my spouse is really for me, loves me, 
in a self-sacrificial way. What a delight it is to be in my spouse's presence. Well, dear friends, that is true in a Christian marriage. And you know, all of our Christian marriages uh, fail in this because we often let our spouses down and don't love them as we ought. How much more gloriously true it is for our heavenly bridegroom that here we have a true spouse who is really the lover of our souls. The one who is willing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and shed tears of blood for my sake. The one who is willing to suffer the mockery and scorn of the soldiers and of the crowds who was unjustly accused and finally was willing to hang on that cursed tree of Golgotha, nails piercing his hand, gasping for breath, and ultimately facing the wrath of the Heavenly Father. Why did He do this? He did it all because He loves you with an an unquenchable love. He, He loved you from His heart. He loved you and gave Himself for you. And it is this Christ who now lives in you and who dwells in you. What a crisis is. How, 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 what security that gives us. The Christ who dwells in us is the one who has loved us and loved us at such a great cost. But not only is it the living Christ and the loving Christ who dwell in us, and that is the key to our Christian life, but thirdly, He is the Christ whom we can trust. He is the Christ in whom we can trust. Do you see this? He describes this Christian life as a life lived with Christ living in me. But then what does that look like in our lives? Well, he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. To live with Christ dwelling in us means moment by moment, day by day, that we live as those who are trusting in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so are we to seek to obey the law of God? The answer is yes, of course. It's our God. Christ Himself said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. But we do it not out of a sense of self-righteousness, not trying to earn favor with God, but we do it all trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ is working in us and conforming us to His image and making us the people that He has called us to be. We can trust in Him day by day. And so we should, dear friends, trust day by day in the Lord Jesus when when we're in the midst of temptation. We can trust Christ in the midst of temptation. We can trust that His truth is better than all of the devil's lies. But we can also trust Him when we're in the midst of trials. And we can trust that His grace is sufficient for each day. And we don't have to give in to frustration and despair and doubt when things don't go our way because our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in us. And do you know we can even trust the Lord Jesus Christ in our death? that when we draw near to that final river and it's time to cross over, that even then we can say that that my faith is in this Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We're going to sing in just a moment 
from 466, and that hymn is going to end. When ends life's transient dream, when death's cold sullen stream shall o'er me roll. What's going to be your testimony on that day when you draw near death? Well, the hymn says, Blessed Savior, then in love, fear and distrust remove. Oh, bear me safe above a ransomed soul. So, dear friends, the key to the Christian life is just that. It is that Christ himself is dwelling in me. The living Christ. The loving Christ. The Christ in whom I can trust this day and all of my days going forward until that time when I shall meet him face to face. And so in conclusion, dear friends, how does Paul end this chapter of Galatians? Well, he ends it this way. He says, you see, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, That is, if my right standing for my justification came through the law, or even if a life of practical righteousness for my sanctification came merely through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But dear friends, my own works will not justify me And my own works, done in my own strength, will not make me more holy. But we have a Savior who gave himself for us. So that in both our right standing before God and our life of sanctification, we uh, we might live unto him. It is Christ, Christ, Christ alone. That is the key. And that's why I call on any of you who are seeking to simply live a good life. To be right in your own power and in your own strength. I say to you today, it is not enough. It is never enough. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is an all-sufficient Savior. Trust in Him. Would you not trust in this Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot do it on your own. Look to Him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. The Lord our God in heaven, we do thank You that You, Lord Jesus, that it is by Your perfect righteousness, Your spotless righteousness, that we are accounted righteous and accepted with God. But we thank You, Lord that it is not simply a righteousness that then encourages us to go out and to live a life of license and a life of sin, but rather that same Lord Jesus whose righteousness clothes us for our justification is the one who now dwells in us for a life of faith. So what a glorious thing it is, O Lord, That not only are we accounted righteous before you, but by your grace we are enabled to live unto the living God. We by nature were slaves of sin, 
living for the sake of the devil, but now you have redeemed us and redeemed us unto a a life of holiness in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth that the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Might that be each of our testimonies. Lord, help us to live for Christ, we pray. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. We're going to now sing in response that hymn from which I just quoted, hymn number 466. My faith looks up to thee, O Lamb of Calvary. Hymn 466. Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.